0: Welcome back to Scuttlebutt. We've got, we're have we mixing it up for you today. I'm Nick. I'm here with Nancy. Hi. And with Vic out and William out, we've got Colonel Tim Howe back in the house. Hello. Back again. Guest hosting this time, not guesting. <laughs> so. I'm moving up. All right. Uh, it's been a couple months since we talked to you, Tim. What have you been up to?
1: Uh, so just uh, since last time we talked, just continuing fielding uh, more amphibious combat vehicles, uh, getting ready to help support uh, first. Uh, Marine Expeditionary Unit that will go out with amphibious combat vehicles here in the fall and uh, working through the challenges that, that exist with being an acquisition officer and, and uh, you know, trying to manage a, a large program like the uh, amphi- PMAAA, Advanced Amphibious Assault. So And then uh, just driving all over Virginia to kids' you know, field hockey and lacrosse and baseball games. Oh. Yeah.
2: Y- you mentioned the ch- challenges mm-hmm. of, of working through that. What would you say the biggest challenge would be?
1: Uh, the biggest challenge right now is uh, we're working with uh, the, the manufacturer, uh, BAE. You know, Certainly when you are trying to, um, we're about a year into it, you stand up a production line uh, for a major vehicle like this, you're going to have some challenges. Um, and, and certainly those challenges exist uh, with the amphibious combat vehicle. Um, 62% of the vehicle, all the drivetrain components, things like that, are made by an Italian company called Iveco. They're owned by... Uh, Fiat. Um, in any case, so that creates a long supply chain, and so you know Iveco is not sitting you know in a manu- you know in a in a in a production plant manufacturing parts. They've got second and third tier suppliers, as we call them. So that supply chain you know goes from BAE you know direct to Iveco uh, for sixty two percent of the vehicle. But once it gets to Iveco, it you know it, it fractures out to all these little companies who are making things. So when there's any perturbations as it relates to COVID or um, just resources, or if we want to uh, scale up production, that takes time because they have to then go get the natural resources and the money to do so. So um, it creates some challenges with that. Um, we also, you know, certainly there's some, um, you know, working through some of the supply chain issues uh, in CONUS as well. Um, so as it relates to quality issues on the on the production floor and things like that, um, sometimes those can, uh, uh, you know, pop up every now and then. So just working through production, remaining on schedule, uh, it's important because if if you're not on schedule in the production plant, you're not going to remain on schedule fielding to the Marines. So, uh, knock on wood, we've remained on schedule fielding to Marines. Uh, we haven't missed a fielding yet. Don't anticipate that happening. So uh, that is that's one of the bigger challenges we're working on right now. is just uh, maintaining schedule with BAE on the production floor. So and, they, and they've done a, a good job. Uh, being transparent with respect to, you know, what their challenges are and, and uh, certainly, um, you know, inviting us in and, and uh, certainly trying to help burn some of those risks down. So.
0: And how much of the BAE uh, work operation, as you're dealing with them, comes from, Europe, would you say?
1: Yeah, certainly. Right now, it's uh, you know kind of poignant, and, and with everything going on in Ukraine, I know you guys have talked about in past shows. You, you've dedicated whole shows to Ukraine. So, um, you know, like I said, sixty-two percent of the entire vehicle is from Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Iveco being in Italy. There are some manufacturers in France, uh, and then it just goes from there. Um, and so, you know, the bulk of the vehicle comes from Europe. We have not seen any, any impacts as it relates to the Ukrainian conflict to date. Um, but to be determined, right, given uh, some of the actions of, uh, you know, Russia with respect to cutting off gas and, and fuel. And then, you know, certainly um, some of the, the um, actions by the EU nations. Uh, against Russia. Not sure if that's going to impact any of the downstream suppliers and the resources that go into making those parts. It, it is a watch item for us that, you know, uh, that we, we we don't focus on it wholly, um, certainly, but, um, you know, we're kind of, saying, okay, is there going to be an issue? But we haven't seen anything yet.
0: Yeah, so. you guys have the, oh. the contingencies in place just in case? Uh,
1: so that's difficult, right? Uh, we, we do, we, we, in some areas, we try to stand up second suppliers in, in the U.S. But, again, um, you know, that takes time to get someone to learn how to make something, mm-hmm. replicate it, and then build that at scale, right? So, you know, if I wanted a coffee cup, you know, it's easy just to go to Walmart and buy that coffee cup it doesn't work that way in acquisitions because we now have to work with the company to go find somebody to do that, get the drawings to make sure that it fits the vehicle, it's safe, doesn't, you know, create any vulnerabilities in the vehicle. Then they have to go find the resources. They have to find the people to build that. They have to train them how to do that. And then they have to start manufacturing that at scale, right? Yeah. So it it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. So. Yeah. What
2: would you say is the most common misconception people have about the acquisitions process?
1: Um, I think, you know, what we hear a lot, right, is go faster, just go faster. And we would love to go faster. And, and uh, certainly I would tell you uh, the folks at Syscom and PEO land systems, which uh, both do acquisitions, two distinct organizations, uh, they they share uh, some resources uh, as it relates to administrative functions. But um there is a, I think, sometimes a misconception in the acquisition process that we can just go out and buy it off the shelf, and we can get it to somebody, you know, in a couple months. It it just doesn't work that way for a number of different reasons. We have the federal acquisition regulations, um, and and the DFAR, which is a subset of that, that puts, um, I don't want to say restrictions, but puts a lot of constraints on us in order to ensure that, one, you know, the government doesn't get defrauded. Um, We continue to, uh, you know, uh, incentivize competition, right? So some of these, we call them like the big five, right? You know, your Raytheons, your Lockheed, your BAEs, those type of big companies. Well, they have the ability and the capital to just subsume a small company um, and not give them the opportunity to go compete right so we want to maintain what we call a viable industrial base we want to be able we want a in order for the country to mobilize for the nation to go fight if we needed to we need a lot of different people to be able to to scale up and make things for the military for the department of defense just as you saw in world war 2 right? right singer sewing company started making 50 cows. Yeah. Wow, well, that didn't happen overnight uh so going back to the competition piece is we have to be able to allow smaller companies um to compete against the bigger companies so that takes time and so in order to do that uh you have to go through a process of source selection and looking at you know each of the companies uh proposal to whatever it is you want to buy and uh so that takes time right and then we have to vet and validate these products to make sure they work as intended so we're not giving you know uh pick a part, pick a a capability to a Marine and it doesn't work. When it gets to the Marine, you know, the thing I used to, we used to say, uh, it's a little, it's a little intense, you know, but when I I was the PM for IW, you know, success was not contracts awarded for us. Success was confirmed kills and everybody's like, wow, that seems kind of aggressive. Well, my going in position was, and same with the ACV, you know, every time a Marine turns on the, the vehicle, it should start every time. Every time a Marine pulls a trigger on a rifle, it should work. And in order for that to work, whether it be an ACV, a radio, a rifle, the acquisition process has had to have worked from development to uh, production to contracting to testing to fielding so that when they, you know, whether turn on a vehicle or pull the trigger or turn on the radio or key out, it works every time. So I think the biggest misconception is, is that, um, you know, we're – People are just sitting around and not moving fast. People are working real hard. This is tough business. I mean, it is a a very, very tough business, and it'll grind you down. Um, but people work hard, and it, it just doesn't happen as fast as certainly we would like it, but that's just the realities of what it is.
2: So it's definitely more of a marathon versus a sprint.
1: Absolutely. It, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because uh, I, I say that same thing anytime I brief uh, an organization I'm in charge of. Is hey, This is a marathon, not a sprint. The key thing, I think, though, is... Just like in any marathon, figuring out when you need to sprint and when you need to pace yourself, um, and and if you're not careful, just like I've done in a couple of marathons I've run, I've been limping at the end because, you know, I didn't pace myself appropriately. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, having been on the other side of that at a, one of the smaller companies at HDT, yeah. an army contract, uh, they're always sprinting, they, no matter like uh, right. just to keep up. So that's it's good that you keep. To the tear down from you know General Dynamics and those guys in mind, yeah, um, yeah, because they overnight stuff from Utah and there, and I I drove to Oklahoma to drop off a battery and
1: yeah, it, some so, of these companies yeah. do uh, you know a lot a lot of the uh, the industrial base a lot of the uh, a lot of industry they do a lot of heavy lifting um, and and oftentimes they don't get credit for it but they you know they uh you know they're they're certainly industries motivated by profit but they're also they're patriotic americans who a lot of them are former soldier sailor airmen and marines who just want to do the right thing and uh they they will yeah they they'll do a lot of wonky things to make things happen and not not in a bad way it's just you know yeah. they'll do what it takes to make it happen they'll
0: find hmm. the shortest distance between two points
1: right american uh, ingenuity yeah. yeah, absolutely, and I think you know if we talk, uh, we always talk force design, or you guys talk force design. Is I think that's the one, one of the bigger things we have over our pacing thread of China is our innovativeness. You know, our ability to innovate, uh, and I think that is honestly created because of our capitalist society, our democratic society, our ability to think freely, our education system that incentivizes kids to think. Um, I don't think you see that in in China, and I think that's one thing that they're envious of is is our ability to innovate and have that innovative spirit, and that's something that we've always had, right? Like yeah. as, as a country, you know, you, you pick yourself up and go figure it out. Yeah.
2: And how do you how do we continue to foster this idea of ingenuity, innovativeness in with young Marines?
1: Yeah, uh, I think, you know, it's funny because uh, oftentimes, you know, the Marine Corps can be very strict and rigid and you have to do it this way and we have to be very disciplined and, and there's reasons for that, right? You want Marines to be disciplined because uh, when it matters, they need to be disciplined, right? Uh, but at the same time, when whether you're in training or whether you are doing maintenance, you give Marines a task and then let them go figure it out, right? That's the decentralized uh, command and control that, that the Marine Corps espouses, right? That is kind of the, the root of, of maneuver warfare, but decentralized command and control. Give a Marine a task and then just step back and let them go figure it out. Tell them what your expectations are, and, and you know just as you would with your kids, here's my expectations. This is what I want you to do. This is what I expect. This is what success means to me you go figure out how to do it. And that can be very difficult, certainly, right? Right. Because yeah. you have an idea, but that doesn't mean your idea is right. And if you don't allow Marines to do that, they may not find a better way, a more innovative way or a, you know, more efficient way to do something. And then, you know, if, if they do find something, that can spread throughout. So you have to let Marines figure out how to do it on their own. But with that being said, you have to give them their boundaries. But also what your in-state for for success is, so that they know that they, like, you know, you call it commander's intent, right? If if I were to give commander's intent and then I get hit by a bus, they know what success means, so they can continue the mission. So you have to give them whatever that in-state is, whatever success looks like to you as the commander, and then step out of the way. And I, and Marines have been very very good at being very innovative and figuring out a way to do it. Um, oftentimes, I think commanders are their own worst enemies because they, they feel a need to control and not step out of the way. And that's hard to step back and just say, okay, go figure it out sometimes. But y- you have to for the betterment both of your unit, for the Marine Corps, and then also for those Marines to have buy-in to the ultimate success, success of the unit. It so. kind of
0: parallels what you said about the acquisition process where your results are measured and kills counted. Yeah. So, like, with the end result. Uh, yeah. Uh, Making sure that you get there. Uh, I see you brought in the update for Force Design 2030. Yeah, hot off the presses. I'm going to plug this real quick. I just put it up on our website. You can actually get to that at MCAMarines.org. There is a whole Force Design section there with all the pertinent documents. So listeners out there, if you want to get up to speed on Force Design, We've got that there. we got links to the the uh Gazette blog that has
1: explored it a little bit,
0: right, but the official documents that we have gathered are all there for easy consumption and yeah analysis. And I, I think that's so. good.
1: I think Marines need to be reading uh about this you know foundational change and and how we're going to move forward as a marine Corps. I mean certainly we are still going to be a crisis response force, and then that's called out in the annual update. Uh, but we have to keep pace with our pacing threat. The new national defense strategy just dropped. The 2022 national defense strategy just dropped. So, um, I think that's what kids say. They just dropped. Just, just yeah. dropped. They would not say the whole thing just though. Very like yeah. the yeah. just at, at 46, yeah. <laughs> uh, I turn 46 tomorrow. I'm still oh, trying to remain. Oh, happy birthday! Relevant. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was just trying to get someone to say <laughs> happy birthday to me. But uh, any case, um, you know, like I. Marines need to keep pace of of what's going on no matter what rank because it's going to affect everybody um yeah so
0: anything stand out to you in the
1: uh yeah update? i mean i think i th- what stands out most to me i think in all this and i won't get into uh certainly e- each of uh each of w- what what is called out in here I, I did i was reading it last night uh but really i th- the commandant did a good job talking about hey what's most critical uh in in this annual update and the force design effort is this campaign of learning, right? And any organization that's successful has to be a learning organization. And, you know, if if, if we're not, a learning organization is only successful if it's willing to take a critical eye at what we're doing um, and say, okay, is this? are these the right assumptions that we're making? Let's validate those assumptions, right? And we do that through war gaming. Uh, so that's important. Um, and I, I'm happy to see, that he calls that out in here. He also calls out uh, one of our warfighting functions of, you know, command and control is, is you know, uh, is uh, above all others at this yeah. point. You know, and when you consider force design and, and what we are going to do uh, with expeditionary advance advanced-based operations, you know, certainly in the Indo-Pacom, command and control is going to be most critical. And then the other thing I do am happy that he called out in here is the role of logistics and how— why it's so important to get that right if we're going to sustain small units doing the reconnaissance, counter-reconnaissance fight, uh, certainly in the weapons engagement zone as stand-in forces. So um, I, I thought it was a good document. Um, and I think, um, you know, certainly I think uh, there's been some pushback as of late with respect to what the Commandant's trying to achieve to do. He, he states that in here that, hey, maybe we didn't we – didn't, um, advertise what we're doing as well as we could have. Um, but again, I go back to any any good learning organization has to take a critical eye mm-hmm. so that, that they uncover, let people question what you're doing because that uncovers any blind spots that you may have missed. Uh, and then be okay with people questioning it so that you can learn and get better through, you know, certainly with here with Wargaming and some of the experimentation that we're doing. Yeah.
0: Especially as it's fleshed out because even before he released the first document, he was talking about those the command and control standing yep. force stuff the yeah. uh, education stuff and uh, some of the logistics stuff too even kind of peeked in there before it came out but, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah so yeah. it's been kind of consistent throughout and as it's been fleshed out and it's been challenged you're right it's good that uh that can be addressed
1: yeah and they've so. you know they, like they've gone back and they've re-looked at it and said okay yeah right the role of logistics hasn't been looked at as, as well as we probably should have we need to take a hard look at that and we need to get that right and so What's clear in, in the tone and tenor of this update is, hey, we've continued to learn. We continue to learn, and, and we will, you know, keep at this uh, as, as we continue to implement this. Uh, we'll continue looking for areas to learn and, and move forward. So this isn't like a static document. Here's force design. Everything aligns out. W- here's no. the concept. We're going to validate it in, in, uh, through wargaming and then assess Learn, change, you know, and then keep doing that. So I think that's important.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that's kind of come out since it came out is the expansion on
1: talent management.
0: Yeah. Trying to get your, get our hands around uh, updating how we've managed the talent mm-hmm. in the Marine Corps. I think it's happening in the other branches too, to some extent. Yeah. I think um, so. But uh, in the Marine Corps, it, it seems particularly striking because they're talking about lateral entry and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, but I haven't been hearing too much, and I'd like to just kind of touch on just the the traditional course of entry for the Lance Corporals. Yeah. Um, Is there any big changes in talent management on that end, have you heard?
1: So I think as far as Lance Corporals and, and, you know, certainly Marines coming in, I think – you know, we have been a force that I think we turn over, and I, I'm going to throw out a number here that that might be wildly off. But we turn over a significant amount of Marines. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's like two-thirds of the Marine Corps turns over almost every year, right? Like yeah. it's very much. A, we are the youngest force. We're the youngest service in the DoD, and we are very much. I think I, I remember reading a document the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps came out uh, with is, um, we you know we are a young force that we turn over very quickly, and so it's a uh, recruit recruit and then. We recruit them and then spit them out four years later, right? We mm-hmm. don't focus on the retention piece. So one of the things I think, and they talk a little bit about it in talent management, but I've seen it uh, in the talent management document, but uh, that the Commandants uh, had published, but is really trying to get Marines uh, into the right areas based upon kind of like their, I don't know, like I don't want to say psychological skill set, you know, but For like their interest. Yeah, what yeah. are they good at, yeah. right? Like. It, a lot of times marines some marines come in on an open contract okay we're going to make you an you know no 311 infantry marine when really that marine might have been better suited as a you know data tech or a network you know working mm-hmm. networks or doing space operations or, or what figure you know pick something right yeah. um and so really i think they're trying to tailor marines towards what they would be better suited for and i think they do that through some some level of testing before they come in so that OK, we're going to put you there and, you know, hopefully you thrive there and then stay in longer, um, I think, it's one aspect. Overall, that talent management piece, uh, I think, and this is my opinion, uh, is rooted towards kind of growing the maturity of the force in the sense that we have a little bit older force, because if you're going to be asking Marines at the small unit level to do reconnaissance, counter reconnaissance out on their own. You need a mature force that can make decisions uh, with a maturity level that's appropriate to that level of decision. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Lance corporals are awesome. I mean, they. It, it is. Uh, you know, I, I. certainly follow Terminal Lance. Um, that's kind of one side of it, right? Like that's the the salty, cynic side of the Marine Corps, yeah. and and that's one of the areas that just I love about Marines is they will find any way to just, you know, blow off steam. Um, but on the other side, Lance Corporals are, are vitally important because they execute what the NCOs ask them to do, right? And they should be that that that, uh, that garden of, of growth before they become non-commissioned officers, uh, which will be the leadership you know, uh, really of the Marine Corps. And I know it's kind of cliche. It's like, you know, the NCO is the backbone of the Marine Corps, but they truly are. Like, the longer I stick around, like, uh, truly corporals and sergeants um, are are the ones who who make it happen, right? And they can't make it happen without PFCs and Lance corporals. I, I think the hardest transition in the Marine Corps is for a Lance corporal to a corporal, right? Because there needs to be that bifurcation of, I'm a non-commissioned officer now. My son's a sergeant, and he was – Couldn't have been more proud than when he became a corporal and then was even more proud than when he became a sergeant. But that transition from Lance Corporal to corporal, because all your Lance Corporals, are you're all buddies, right? Like Mm -hmm. hanging out and and doing things. And then you become an NCO and you're supposed to separate yourself a little bit because now I'm a leader and the expectation is I'm going to be successful at leading these Marines to go do things and then going into harm's way if necessary and executing the orders that I I give to them. I mean, heck, we had – I mean, your average age of a corporal, I would I would posit is probably about 20 to 21 years old uh, in the Marine Corps. And, and and for the last 20 years, I mean, my son's 24. He's a sergeant. Right. Um, it might be a little bit older than your average sergeant. I think it's about five years for a sergeant. I could be a little bit off. But I mean, they're leading 13 hard charging Marines like out on patrols in Afghanistan and Iraq, mm-hmm. you know, and you talk about the you know the the strategic corporal and this is you know that's a huge responsibility and you 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 can't do that without having good lance corporals and PFCs below you who are smart uh certainly they're goofy you know like they're still developing you know as as young men and women um, they're on that tiktok yeah right <laughs> yeah, yeah these are the same kids yeah. uh, who look like they're having a seizure online doing these dances yeah. Uh, but but are willing to go out and and die for their country. So uh, as far as talent management goes with Lance Corporals, I think fitting them into the right area that they're interested in in order to retain them and create that more mature force uh, certainly is uh, one aspect of the Marine Corps. I know you had mentioned kind of this lateral entry into the Marine Corps. That's where
0: most of the attention is, is like trying to pull in experts who are already in the field. Right. Um, But to your point about – Trying to get the Marines into careers, like I, I guess the MOS yeah. career, um, that would naturally have to age up the core because you don't want to have a whole bunch of cyber guys cycling out every, you know, yeah, four to eight years. They need to be able to be entrenched and kind of see how things are evolving yep. and kind of know what's th- going on.
1: It's it's funny you mentioned like cyber and you know uh, those type of skill sets that you know on the network side huge competition for talent as it relates to that type of skill set because they can go out in industry Mm -hmm. work for Microsoft work for a software company right and and make a lot of money uh far more than the Marine Corps could offer so how do you retain that right and and so I know there's been some gnashing of the teeth of bringing folks in maybe you know bringing them in as gunnies or sergeants and Mm -hmm. and maybe they don't go through boot camp and you know, there is certainly that aspect that boot camp and OCS are rites of passage that you, you should have to go through. Um, I would offer, I think, the Commandant's own. They don't they don't go to boot camp, right? Or the President's the own. President's the President's own. The President, right. uh, they right. don't go to boot camp. But Correct. They're in the band. They are Marines, right? So um, They audition for those slots. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I am at have PhDs. But the point is, is, like, there is a competition for talent right now uh, that we have to be able to compete at. Otherwise, we're going to be behind our adversaries as it relates because they're state-sponsored. They can direct yeah. that talent, right? You look at Russia with, I think, Fancy Bear is their major – You know, that's a major cyber-hacking-type uh, uh, entity within Russia, that, whatever their Russian uh, cyber uh, yeah. division is. But yeah. we have to compete for that talent. And so I think the commonwealth is just trying to find any way to compete for that talent so that we can stay ahead of our pacing threat. And that might be uncomfortable for a lot of folks who who believe that they have to come through boot camp or OCS. And I don't don't know how you cross that T or dot that I, but we may just have to get comfortable being uncomfortable with trying to attract talent. And how do you incentivize? Because if they're
0: in that market, right, they're in the cybersecurity market, which is uh, vast and all-encompassing and global now and always evolving – how do you incentivize folks to stay on board for the long haul? Yeah. Versus I mean being I mean, able to yeah. just bounce from contract yeah. to contract anytime things go wrong, they could just Yeah, pop I over mean to the certainly
1: one. uh one way we do it is you know wh- look the, I don't want to I don't want to portray Marines who are in these skill sets that have the as just money hungry. I mean they're they're good patriotic mm-hmm. folks who sure. are just they want to do it because they want to serve their country, and and as much as, you know, uh, older generations think kids don't want to do that, they they are. I mean, the last fifteen years we had kids volunteering to go to combat. Yeah. Right. Didn't have that in Vietnam. You you know you got drafted, and and now you got kids who who signed up at time of war, knowing what they were getting into. That that's 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 something that you know there are patriotic kids out there that that want to sign up. With that being said, some of your skill sets, right? Like, my son's an air traffic controller. You can't create an air traffic controller overnight. No. So no. he, a tough school to get through. I mean, very academically challenging school to get through. I, I couldn't do it. Very I don't know how he does that. High I think,
0: stress. I think uh, it has, like, the highest suicide rate in the private industry. I, uh, really, I, Nick? I've seen Pushington, yeah, okay? I, I, yeah. John Cusack I, told me. <laughs> uh so I'm pretty much an expert. I, I, <laughs>
1: I would like to think that our Marines are, are a lot more resilient. Yeah, uh, I'd say yeah, like I, I threw yeah, in the private sector in yeah, there. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, yeah. But um, that being said, like you know, they can't recreate him. So he had to sign up for a five-year contract, and then in order, to, and I'm not saying throwing money at him, keeps them right. Patriotism helps you know opportunity to lead certainly is a big motivator but then but then there's opportunities for you know reenlistment bonuses to mm-hmm. incentivize because my son right like his his MOS he can walk out the door now and go work for the FAA and and make good money certainly it's stressful but that's why they make a lot of yeah. money because it is stressful mm-hmm. there's a huge amount of responsibility but to try to incentivize him they are going to they might offer him a big bonus to reenlist in order to keep that talent I think they did that with pilots, too, right? Right. Uh, Nancy, you would know this, right? Given your background in in naval aviation history, they they had to go to flight pay, right, in some degree. And then they were offering bonuses to retain pilots who could, you know, when the economy is strong and the the commercial airline industry is strong— you see pilots going out to to the commercial world, right? Right. So
2: because, like you said, same situation. You can't create a pilot overnight, no. and it's expensive to do to do that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So back to your question: How do we kind of keep these folks in? Is that that's one opportunity? You know, maybe to do that. Um, you know, the reserves. I think the role of the reserves is huge, um, in the sense that you bring people in from industry. They serve their time. Hey, you want to serve, but still, you know, work in private Keep industry? We're going to capture that skill in the reserve sector, uh, so that might be an opportunity to, uh, to, uh, to kind of incentivize that talent. Yeah. Is hey, you can still serve and work in the private industry? Yeah, that kind of feels like
0: the traditional. I, I can't say traditional. Like the last two or three decades, role of the reserves is to oh, it's been huge. Capture the uh, capture industry.
1: We could not have gone. We could not have done the last, I mean, as as a Department of Defense and certainly as a Marine Corps without, we could not have continued at the pace we did in Afghanistan and Iraq without the reserves plugging yeah. holes and, and, you know, and, and then, I mean, it, when a reserve unit g- mobilizes, they it, it's, an ex- it's not just a seven-month deployment. There is a whole, like, two or three months leading up to that where they're doing pre-deployment training and then they leave. Like, they don't see their family yeah. ostensibly almost for, you know, nine, ten months. Uh, so you know, a lot of credit to that to those individuals, to and, and a lot of credit again. Go back to the industrial base, to the country, to say, hey, we're going to put your job on hold until you come back. Right. So yeah,
0: um, I think that the USMCR is kind of underrepresented in in the grand scope of our understanding of the U.S. Yeah. defense. So I th- yeah,
1: I think so too. I don't think they get a lot of. I, th- I don't think they get as much credit as they deserve. Yeah. So
2: so back to this new approach to talent management. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, how do you think? The Marine Corps can overcome a resistance to this this sort of new way of
1: thinking. I think you, I mean, you're always gonna I, I, you you. you I, all you can do is you can um, explain why you're doing it, right? Why? What's the inherent importance of of changing your methodology? Um, that's you know, be transparent. This is why, you know, in order to compete for talent against industry, in order to stay ahead of our pacing threat. We have to do this. Here are our ideas. Uh, Certainly, then internally, you you have to get buy-in, right? So you get buy-in by, hey, bringing people in to develop courses of action on how to retain talent uh, is another one. Um, And then just consistent and constant messaging that this is why we're doing that. And this is why we're doing this, and this is why, um, I think you're always going to have those who are, you know, you, you got the folks on one side of the fence, the folks on the other side of the fence. One's in, you know, One group's in, one will never get it. And then you got people sitting on the fence who are trying to figure it out. And those are the people you're competing for, you know, right. their understanding. And um, it, look, it's a fast paced world where there are a lot of opportunities for people to do things, uh, you know, work from home, you know, remote work hey, I work for a company in Germany, but they allow me to live in Omaha, sure. you know? Mm-hmm. It's hard for the Marine Corps to compete, you know? And, you know, 19, yeah, I don't know, 1952, you couldn't do that. So right. you're a kid out of, out of high school or out of college, and you're like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Job market's like, maybe I'll go serve my country. Well, now your options are expanded because of the evolution of the internet and the ability to work from home, and, you know, um, you have to compete for that talent. And, and so, you know... Some people might be might be turned off at the idea of going to boot camp. They don't want to be yelled at. They don't want to be put through that and I, 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 you know, maybe they just want to come in and and work that. And then from our side, what do we get out of it? We get something we get somebody who has worked in that industry or worked in that space right. and are very good. We just have to be comfortable with them coming in saying, "Okay, you're a marine now. Yeah, we recognize you didn't go to boot camp." Um and and then you know go go forward. So,
2: do you think most of the resistance? Again, just your opinion. Most of the resistance is going to come from active duty ranks or from veteran Marines.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, that's a good question. Um, that's why they Tim pay Howell's, me the big bucks. Uh, <laughs> you and me both, right? Uh, Tim Howell's opinion. I think uh, I think it may be a, uh, probably tilt more towards the veterans. Um, but just my opinion. I think active duty are very. Very adaptive and understanding. Sure. They're living it every day. They see it and every day. And they see the benefits. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, I think the veteran side, uh, and this is not everybody, this is not a panacea for every veteran or but um, you know
2: Well, I, I think we all get caught up in the idea, you know, if if we've done something
1: that's the and only we've way. moved
2: on, like, oh well the way we did it when I was right. doing it, that's the right way. But I
1: think in what's crazy is you can look through the history of Marine Corps and I think you can find times where not everybody went to boot camp. You know, it may Korea. or may not. Korea, Korea more, not yep. everybody went to boot camp. In fact, they plucked them and just shipped them direct to Korea. They, they, they went to the. They, they Pendleton. trained on
2: troop ships. Yep,
1: yep. They did a stop in Pendleton, and then they trained on troop ships on how to in uh, you know engage. I think uh, "Give Me Tomorrow" is a great book. Just "Give Me Tomorrow" is a great book that talks to that.
2: Well, and just a, a personal story. My dad is a retired Navy doctor, and when he graduated from medical school in the early 1960s he was automatically drafted and um was assigned to a submarine now before he made his first patrol on a nuclear submarine he had five days five days of training as a naval officer Mm -hmm. and then he was on a 120 day patrol on a nuclear submarine so there you go
1: so yeah i mean so you know history is is you know chock full of of times when the when Marines didn't go to boot camp and they performed magnificently. I mean Korea's chosen reservoir sure. is a perfect example of that. Uh, I think it's uh golf company three one. That's the basis of the book mm-hmm. of just give me tomorrow. A lot of those guys didn't go to boot camp. So we're kind of, you know, in this 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 period now where while it's not a, 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 a you know, we don't have North Korea, you know, running south into South Korea, but we are in a crisis in the sense that we're competing for talent against a pacing threat that's moving faster than we are. Uh, and I think that's what the commandant's trying to get at is, hey, maybe we don't send them through boot camp. Maybe there is some, I don't know, shorter abridged version. I, I don't know. Um, but something has to give in order to get that talent in uh, to compete in that space, to to give ourselves an unfair advantage over our adversary. Yeah. Now, just tying all that back in, bringing China back
0: into it, bringing the ACVs back into it. <laughs> let's just kind of focus in on Tim now and see kind of how have you how is this all kind of affecting you uh, as you're trying to manage talent, manage resources, manage yeah. uh, pacing threats, manage changing doctrine.
1: Uh, so, really, how it affects like the Force Design annual update? They, you know, certainly as we look at. Uh, stand-in forces as we looked at, you know, or, or as they continue to war game and look at expeditionary advanced base operations. And and I talked earlier about, you know, did we, are we validating our assumptions? You know, there might be some, you know, there might be a need to look, and, and I'm not saying this, but the Marine Corps might say, hey, look, is, is the ACV the right vehicle uh, for certain mission role variants in the future uh, based upon what we want to try to do? Um, you know, is that the right platform is that the right capability is a vehicle the right uh platform for the capability that we need you know so that's really how it all comes ties back to me. The talent management piece you know certainly if I could bring people in from industry uh, we've got a lot of good folks in p m a a but if I could incentivize people to come in from industry you know and and serve in the government for a brief period and go back and there's opportunities to do that so on the talent management piece. As it relates to bringing Marines in to do niche skills, that doesn't really affect me so much. Um, we've got a lot of good uniform Marines there that I'm always trying to, you know, hey, have you thought about acquisitions? Um, you know, uh, and, and going that route. Um, but the government civilians we have uh, in, in PMAAA, at least, um, they're, they're smart, smart folks um, who, like I said earlier, they work hard. Uh, but really, force design, pacing threat of China, um, that really impacts the ACV program, uh, and that we've got to stay a step ahead. Um, they've got an expeditionary fighting vehicle like vehicle that they, you know, looks very much like our old EFV that we were building, that the, the program was ultimately canceled. Um, and then certainly I just saw an article the other day that, uh, they were, they were talking about a Mew, I think, uh, helping out, um, certainly, um, either in the Black Sea or, or somewhere near the, you know, the Ukrainian conflict. You know, if ACVs were on that, they may have a role in that as well. So that that gives us greater sense of urgency to make sure we're getting it right, remaining on, on schedule with respect to these feelings so that Marines have that capability when they're called. All right. Got anything talent management related to add to the pile, Nancy? No, not,
2: <laughs> not answered a lot of questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to transition to something, some a little bit more lighthearted fare <laughs> while we got you here. Um, because, so
2: of course, why not? Of course. Yeah,
1: yeah. Absolutely. We talked
0: about the important stuff, and let's talk about the important stuff.
1: The really important stuff. Um, so,
0: recruiting is down in the Marine Corps right here. Okay. And I'm transitioning into Top Gun Maverick, the movie. <sighs> Um, which is a sequel <laughs> that's been delayed for three years now, I think. Yes. But the original came out in 86 yeah. and increased Navy recruitment by 500% and, and Marine Corps recruitment by about double, I think. Oh, really? So yeah. that number is not as hard, easy to grab. The Navy we right. were the ones hanging out outside the movie theaters. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> My brother had that haircut that Tom Cruise had, like, yeah. back in the 80s. He got that haircut, you know, like – There are a lot of people that are like, I want to be a Navy pilot because of Top Gun. Listen,
2: I was going to college in Pensacola, the cradle of naval aviation. There you go. Yeah. I started school in 1989 there. Yeah. And essentially the first, it was that first group of of mostly guys at the time who had seen Top Gun. And they were there in flight school because of Top Gun.
1: Driving fast motorcycles.
0: Yeah, there was it. a leather shortage too <laughs> for the jackets. I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> they couldn't make the they couldn't make the uh, jackets fast enough.
2: I had an apartment complex with. My, my apartment looked out onto a sand volleyball oh, court. Oh, perfect. And <laughs> let me that. tell you what. There was not one damn game of volleyball that ever took place there. I think a cat used it as a litter box one time. It right. Was, it was not Top Gun. It was not yeah. happening. Yeah. It was yeah. not happening.
1: Uh, I think the Top Gun soundtrack is the only one that's better than that is the Rocky Four soundtrack. Rocky IV is good. It's fantastic. Uh, so... Uh, I am looking forward. I've seen some. I just probably like you guys. I, have you seen some like trailers sure. and stuff?
0: There's only so many ways you can cut a trailer when you've delayed your movie by right, two years. Right. But like. So
1: my understanding is in the first Top Gun, Tom Cruise didn't fly in that. Uh, and so I kind of have some ties to that first movie and who was really doing the flying. And I think it was some guys out of um, uh, the Checkerboards. I think it's 365 or 362 in Buford did some of the flying for him. In that movie, uh, at least one person I know did. In my understanding, is he didn't do the flying, but I think in this one, he did not like actual doing the piloting. But he's actually in the plane during this this hmm. movie. But I'm not sure. So, well, with how ridiculous he
0: is about doing his own stunts, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. If uh, what's his name from Star Trek can fly a jet, surely Tom Cruise can. Uh, the Klingon wharf. Uh, <laughs> Out of my league, yeah. I, What is that actor's <laughs> name? I don't know. <laughs> what? I don't <laughs> know what you're talking about. He can right fly now. a jet. <laughs> So, that's Warf the important can fly a jet. I, Warf, the actor who plays Worf. Does that...
1: Warf? Star yeah, Trek? That yeah, yeah, yeah. Worf. Yeah, can fly... Yeah. Are you Star Trek or Star Wars Can Star Trek.
0: Like Honestly... I'm
1: like William Shatner, Star Trek.
0: Uh, yeah, until very recently. It was probably a pretty easy case to make, but now so much bad Star Wars is out, so much bad Star Trek is out. Like, uh, do you even want
1: to pick a team anymore? Like, Yeah, yeah. I, we, you know, we... It's funny. You go back to, like, movies and recruiting and, like, how, like, uh how influential, like, Hollywood can be on recruiting. Um, certainly, Full Metal Jacket yes. is a big Marine mm-hmm. movie. Yep. Uh, I think I showed that to my wife on Valentine's Day. So <laughs> it wasn't a hit. It wasn't a hit. Don't worry. <laughs> one of my many failures as far as uh, a Valentine's Day movie. Did you make it all the way through? Did <laughs> yeah. You, did she was no, she no. Wasn't I have impressed. no words, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but you know, certainly that was a big recruit. I think uh, the movie was the American Sniper about Chris Kyle. That yeah. was a big, big hit. But I I don't I don't remember any, like, major Marine movies as of late. They did some back in the 20s, the 1920s. <laughs> That's <laughs> They awesome. had Lon
0: Chaney as the <laughs> Marine, and they were able to. Well, uh, there's the D.I., yeah. you know, later yeah. on, a few years later. That was so, a big hit. Like, they were yeah. big in the Jack movie Webb? industry all the way through yeah. That's World yeah. War Two. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I was trying to figure out
1: who played uh, yeah. the D.I. Good pull. We had that uh.
2: in Leatherneck.
1: Couple of, uh, okay. at the
2: time, and then later on we revisited that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But we haven't really had like a, a Top Gun type no. Marine movie. I mean, you always have like the ana- like the, the character who was like I was a Marine, you know, this like crestfallen, yeah. like I'm so you know, like <laughs> I'm trouble. Like, like they need to change the narrative of the Marine veteran, not this, you yeah. know. Well, I, John Cena was the, marine, in the uh, marine. Exactly. There you go. So. Um. <laughs> And wherein, wherein, I think...
0: I, did he even fire a gun in that? Like, I think he was mostly just wielding a Bowie knife, but...
1: Uh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think Star... Was that, I was reading Stars and Stripes. Uh, I get it with my local paper every Friday. And they had, um, like, top 10 worst, like, veteran intros to movies, you know? Yeah. And and um, I don't know. We We need to, like change the narrative of the Marine and the Marine veteran like you know there, there are a lot of smart yeah. Marines let's write a screenplay yeah. I'm on that's board. what I'm hearing yeah. you say that we're going to write a screenplay absolutely okay? and we absolutely. won't even use a crayon to write it the lead so. actor <laughs> will be an acquisition officer you know, at, at, there you know you go. the whole world is waiting on his ability to navigate the federal acquisition regulation and get yeah. a contract awarded. He's just got a stack <laughs> like of papers it. over <laughs> here. I'm going
2: to start working on it this <laughs> afternoon.
0: He's waiting for the fax machine to... That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Fax it's, machine. That's
0: right, what, like, what year is this? I'm right. pretty sure. Don't you use a fax machine? No. Like, no, no you don't use no. that anymore? No, use fax. I, where was it? It's right I, next to
1: my dot matrix we were, printer.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? We, <laughs> fax machine? Yeah, your fax machine and your dot Yeah, your dot matrix. <laughs> You're just waiting because you have this ancient archaic technology. That's the point I'm trying to make. Oh, uh, man.
2: So, So back to Top Gun. <laughs> I couldn't wait to show Top Gun to my youngest son who he's <laughs> yeah. he's 22 now but he was learning to fly from the time he was about oh, 8 super years old. Cool. Yeah. So basically he's about mm, 13 14 maybe 15. My husband and I are like you you've got to see Top Gun. It's the right. greatest. You're going to love it. He came away from it. He, he couldn't even watch the whole thing. He said, this is the worst, he is the worst officer and the worst pilot I have <laughs> ever seen. Because, Maverick. yeah, he, he, he doesn't get it. He stands he up the to the tower. admiral. He doesn't get it, he, he still the doesn't tower. get
1: it. Yeah, Buzz the tower, he stood yeah. up to the admiral. I think on the, in Top Gun 2, isn't he, like, the admiral now?
0: No, he's trying to avoid getting promoted. Oh, no, he's promoted. a captain. He's a yeah. Navy captain. Yeah, he's trying to do the career thing. career the worst. Career <laughs> thing. No, but... So they keep being a test pilot. He's, he's like, yeah. a Navy
1: captain, but he's still yeah. doing, like, yeah, things does. that a Navy lieutenant would be doing, right? Yeah, it's been, like, 20 years since he last got a promotion. So <laughs> a <laughs> yeah, I, not to diverge from, like, recruiting films, but I tried sh- I showed my kids Goonies. Yeah, and yeah. they were like, I thought that was the greatest movie of all time. Like, I, I, I was like, oh my god, Data, and you know, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and and like Chunk, and you know, these are someone's wishes, and I mean, it's so awesome. And then we watched it, and I was like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. It wasn't, that, <laughs> it wasn't as good as I remember. It's shorter it. than you remember too, yeah. right? You're like it moves, yeah. moves,
0: moves, moves, and it's over, and you're like. Wait, this movie was like two hours long when I was a kid. Now all of a sudden it's like barely over an hour. I haven't
1: watched Top Gun, but I did have my son watch Rocky Four like three weeks ago. He sprained sprained his ankle really kind of bad, uh, sliding into third during a double header, and he's all down. He's really kind of having a breakout baseball season. He's seventh grade, and, and I was like, look, this is all about the comeback now. Like So we've got to <laughs> yeah, watch Rocky Four, And you've got to watch the training scene in Russia. This is the key to the yep. whole thing. Your comeback is going to be like Rocky's. And he was like, what? <laughs> he you probably should have started with the first three Rockies. Yeah, he had a lot and of never questions. never tell him there's
0: a fifth one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I ever saw the fifth one. I stopped at four.
0: The fifth one is not. The final fight is, a bar, is like a brawl in an alley. Yeah. It's like,
1: I thought it was poignant, too, because Russia and yeah. we were like, you know, we beat Drago, and, yeah. and yeah. you know, given Russia and I it's must Ukraine, through the power of sports, we can all
0: come together. Oh yeah, well, his, yeah. it was
1: completely political statement yeah. at the end. You know, it certainly it yeah. was the height of the Cold War, and uh,
2: I think the actor—I'm totally off the rails here—the actor who played Drago has some. had a PhD in, in something oh, science. I looked up his like, name.
0: Uh, as soon uh, as you need to know it, you're not going to know
1: it, because I was my just mind just blanked.
0: Um, Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Good Swedish, for you. Swedish. Nice. Guy.
1: That's the second deep pull you pulled. It's. It's. She's great at is, trivia. This is
2: this is what you get <laughs> when you read Leatherneck magazine, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah. All my yeah. all my trivia, yeah. all my knowledge.
1: It's <laughs> Jeopardy level
0: right there. <laughs> <laughs> She's good to have at the table at the bar for trivia. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, back to the movies, I guess. Uh, that actually do recruiting. Uh, the Navy did take a swing about what ten eight years ago with Battleship. They put a bunch of money into that, and then <laughs> it like flopped hard. Yeah, like I, I think it was like a two hundred fourteen million dollar movie, and it made like thirty five million dollars <laughs> at the box office.
1: Yeah, and I must speak completely on my lane, but recruiting yeah that is a tough yeah tough business. Both as a recruiter, those guys and gals, uh, you want to talk about man, that's a tough business. You know, just trying to canvas and talk to young kids and who who. To tell the you know to, to get them to, to join the Marine Corps and, and show them why it's a great service, but then uh, but then all the different way you know we Marines used to have a NASCAR that we sponsored. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we do that anymore. I just saw that they had two AVs to bring this awful circle. They had two AVs at Daytona uh, for people to come see, and they they turned on the smoke. Did generation they go through system. Lake Lloyd down there, in the and no, they were no. just parked. Uh, so, <laughs> but you know, in, in any way you can get to these kids i don't know if the marine corps has a tiktok channel or certainly they've got an instagram channel i i follow so yeah. but and uh
2: covid must have changed everything too for recruiters yeah. because how do you how do you get the kids to see you because that's part of it is right. kids seeing you in uniform yeah and you, you can't
1: know, go out or you know what have you mm-hmm. I, I don't know how they did that but uh, boy what a tough that is a tough uh tough business uh yeah. you know, that, that to to do what they need to do but Anyways.
0: Yeah. And with the, I guess the changing messaging from above about what we're doing going forward, people kind of being afraid of, not afraid, wary of war after being in there for 20 years. Yeah. Um, Because the kids that need to be recruited now weren't even born when 9 11 happened. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah.
1: That is crazy. I always said I'd feel old when I go to the Marine Corps ball and the, the youngest Marine was born after I was commissioned. And, I th- if just because the organization, I think we had a little bit more senior marines. I, I think I hit that the last one. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's it's uh, a <laughs> th- it's a crazy kind of yeah. thing to think about. So,
0: yeah. well, let's just talk about some interesting stuff then. Okay, um, so the the Sikorsky
1: CH fifty three K, K yeah.
0: has been approved. I forget which part of the process.
1: So, I think they got, uh, they passed their e their ish, initial operational test and evaluation, which yeah. is kind of like your last big event before you are allowed to go into production, uh, full rate production. Um, so, that's a big milestone for the CH 53 Kilo. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm s- going to speak a little bit out of my lane on the aviation acquisition side, but I do know the capability of that. That aircraft, you know, that platform um, is far better than what they had. Significant. I think it,
0: it almost doubles or does double the uh, the amount of weight that it can carry. And uh,
1: I think it carried JLTV, uh, which is significant for a longer distance. Uh, and again, I'm not going to spit numbers because I just don't know them, and I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't know if they're misquote. all public anyway. So yeah, I'm not sure either. I, uh, but important for us in force design to support movement of both. Troops and you know necessary logistics, uh, if we're going to be in an austere environment um, from a distance far enough out to where you don't put you know your amphibious shipping possibly into harm's way, and you have that ability to put that use that rotary wing to to put uh, you know either lift tr- you know uh, troops or or supplies or what have you to wherever you need to go. So that that's a huge win for the Marine Corps, a big win.
0: Yeah, so there was exhaust issues I think they were working through for the past 18 months and
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh what was I listening to? I or I read an article. I was listening. it's all open source where he was uh ingesting uh maybe was Scuttlebutt. I think I was listening to Scuttlebutt. Were we you talking were about talking about it. About I, I, it. Oh. Yeah, that's why it, I know about it. Yeah, Jeez. it was ingesting okay. exhaust yeah. back into the engine. So they yeah. had to go clean that up.
0: Yeah, so that was I don't know if you've seen the solution on it, but this basically just has Exhaust uh, pipe, that like tailpipes yeah, now yeah. that just push it <laughs> way out of the way. Right, so. right. I, c- I
1: thought it was Scuttlebutt. I was listening to your last episode that uh, you were talking about uh, that. We,
0: that. Our last episode, we are talking about uh, art, so I doubt we talked about this ch 53 No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's something I've wanted to talk about, yeah. but I was waiting for the right moment. And, this is, yeah. right and this, moment. this is the this right, this right is moment. And this is the right moment. Okay. So. I, I I glad I'm glad I'm somewhere. here for this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, some stray information, just I heard yeah. it, so...
0: Yeah, so it, yeah, it was ingesting its own exhaust and they were working on that for over a year and it's look outside looking in it was like, well, duh, you just extend the pipes. But clearly it's always more complicated than yeah,
1: that. Yeah, it's not as easy, you know, and that's yeah. the other thing. You go back to Nancy had mentioned about the acquisition process, you know, to make a change is not easy. Um sometimes it well if, if you want to get it cut into production it can be difficult, right? Cuz mm-hmm. it's got to go through a whole process to make sure uh, that you're not creating more risk. Um, so that has to get vetted and validated. Oftentimes, going back to the Lance Corporal, right, and you had asked the question about how do you foster that uh, innovation. Is, you know, Marines see a problem. Let them fix it. And then if it works, get that out there to the rest of the fleet. So, so if
0: the Marines can see a problem they can fix, and we're hypothetically talking about Sikorsky now, not BAE, but say it was BAE right. you were dealing with. Um, so if they see the problem, how do you – uh, communicate what their idea is to the engineers at yeah. BAE or Sikorsky? Or yeah,
1: so we we bring them in and, and discuss, okay, here's the problem that we're seeing. We have them, you know, we we have a lot of interface and interaction with the Fleet Marine Force, and we get a lot of their feedback. We just had uh, the, the Assault Amphibian School, uh, a lot of their senior leaders and junior Marines up to the York plant to look at the vehicle, and they were offering a lot of good ideas. So, opportunities like that and then you know we are going to set up kind of a you know a periodic interface between ourselves certainly BAE as the manufacturer and the fleet to hey what are you seeing what are you know do you have any ideas and then you just go from there and then certainly engineers have to take it to make sure it doesn't you know uh, create yeah. any vulnerabilities or risk to the overall and then can they can they implement that right? yeah
2: so. well and uh back to the acquisitions process as a whole it's not just about the piece of equipment, whatever it is we're talking about, whether it's a helicopter or a rifle, um, it's more than just that equipment. You have to make sure yep. there, there's the the training manual. Yep. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The those who are going to be working on. Yeah. Whatever that piece of equipment is, and getting them up to speed.
1: Yep, and then and then you know do, you have to be able whatever that that change is, right? Then you're going to have to be able to maintain that change and whatever that is. To your point, you, the training is the biggest piece. How does this change the overall employment of that capability, and how do you train people to that change? Um times, I think we you just think a small little fix. Sometimes these can be big fixes too. Yeah. So you know. yeah. And
0: then uh, I guess that'll lead us to the final thing I want to talk about. Are you going to be up at the expo next? Uh, I will months? be. I Latter will day be. Marine I expo. will be.
1: Yep. Yep. Uh, we will be briefing uh, the APBI brief. It's a brief to industry on the first day, and then I think it kicks off officially on the tenth. Uh, so I'll be there that day, and then uh, we have the the grand banquet that night. So.
0: Do you have any ACVs on the floor? Uh,
1: will there will be two? Uh, BAE will have uh, what they call uh, their their variant uh, of the Advanced Reconnaissance Vehicle, uh, as well as another variant, uh, Organic Precision Fires. Uh, variant that they'll both have there. So, okay. so I'm going to
0: say it's going to be at the BAE booth then. It will be. We That's are not That's why putting it's anything got such there. a big footprint. The absolutely. I was looking at the floor plan. So if you're going to have two vehicles yeah. on yeah. the floor, yeah. 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 you need and some yeah. space for that.
2: And big change with modern-day Marine this year.
0: Yeah, up in D.C. Yeah. Up in D.C. Location is, is, is the, the Walter E., Washington Convention yes. Center, Convention Center yeah. uh, which is about four or five blocks northeast of the White House. So
1: Right, right. Yes. Uh, it's, that's a big win. Uh, this is a long time coming. Um, I think um, I was just listening to another podcast on the way over here, uh, the Marine Corps Systems Command podcast. I think it's called Equipment Corps, and they are, they interviewed the ACMAC. And, uh, you know, I know uh, Lieutenant General Faulkner retired and Lieutenant General Sherodi retired and been working on getting that thing moved up there. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, that's the right thing to do. And I think it elevates the modern-day Marine to now a level like air Space. And right. Um, not that it wasn't credible before, but this puts it, I think, on, on another level. So yeah. that, that's important for the Marine Corps. Go back to recruiting, another opportunity yeah. for recruiting. So.
0: yeah, you, I mean, uh, you have to be a Marine or industry to get into it. But I wonder if there's a situation in the future where there's like a, a – just to help with recruiting, yeah, yeah. Maybe like a public, like that's fair. Six yeah, yeah. hours, like on a yeah. Thursday yeah. or Friday after everybody's done with everything. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so, but that's not our decision to make. Yeah,
1: well <laughs> above my my pay grade. Yeah.
0: Anyway, any other logs to throw on the fire, guys?
2: No, I just want to say though, for the record, we're recording this podcast on what's known as Yam Hashoah or Holocaust Remembrance Day. Yep. Just wanted to put that information out there.
0: Yeah, I saw uh, Zelensky was talking about that, yeah. um, President of Ukraine. So yeah.
1: uh, very poignant. Uh, Colonel Woodbridge had mentioned a good book uh, about Ukraine um, called Bloodlands, and I've been listening to that on Audible. And so certainly that's that's relevant, Nancy, because uh, the the introduction talks significantly about both the Holocaust. Uh, you know, with the Germans and then certainly with Stalin too. So, um, but you know, certainly very relevant, um, uh, and that, and what, you know, why we're here today too. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, that's appreciate yeah. that. It's, uh, I hope, uh, I, I think I just saw, um, there was some, some older, Oh, well, certainly uh, older is redundant, but there's some Holocaust survivors, I think just published a video, uh, about, you know, the Holocaust. And I think my biggest fear as we get, you know, as more and more Holocaust survivors pass away, hopefully we don't forget, you know, that right. atrocity, right. uh, you know, and, and, um, uh, yeah, I, I, that's my biggest fear is that, that kids today don't have a good understanding of just how horrific, right uh that was so.
2: it's important to keep telling those stories yeah, yeah. Or they are forgotten
1: well. yeah i uh good book another good book man's search for meaning by victor frankel Uh great book to read uh he was a uh, uh holocaust survivor um i think he went to auschwitz um his wife i think his daughter uh Went to another concentration camp. You never saw him again. But he's a very big uh, kind of, uh, he was a psychologist, uh, but um, very good book just talking about, you know, his experiences and then how he was able to get through that. Um, really the basis for cognitive-based therapy and things like that. So man, Search for Meaning. I'm going to check that out. Book. I haven't really read Really good that. book. Fascinating uh, it's it's both a uh, a sad and disturbing read with respect to what he had to go through, uh, as well as uh, it's a good book. I think for Marines, you know, we talked about PTSD. Um, I forget the name of the gentleman you brought in here early on in the podcast series, and you know, he made it he, uh, he it's something that's really resonated with me. He talked about you know he talked about that British SAS who had gone all over the world, and in his memoirs, it's like like five pages, you yep. know, about that, and then. You know, and, and uh, I forget the gentleman's name that he had in here. I, I really feel bad that I forgot. But he's like, don't get stuck in that chapter of your life. You okay. know, like, yes, remember it, but don't get stuck in that chapter in life. And that that kind of goes in towards some of what, like, Victor Frankl, you know, that is a period of your life and you need to move on. Yeah. So I think, you know, that book is relevant, uh, certainly, for Marines who uh, are struggling with PTSD. So. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. yeah. I believe
0: yeah. we were talking about Miles Vining. Yeah, um, absolutely. Good. Yeah. yeah, thank you.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I apologize to Miles for not remembering his name. Yeah. So.
2: This is why so. Nick and I are always on a <laughs> trivia team together. Yeah,
1: no doubt. I uh, no, no doubt. I thought I was good at Jeopardy, but I guess I'm not. Oh. Dang it.
2: You're gonna have to audition for our team. Yeah. We, we don't take it
1: lightly. <laughs> we have an opening, though. So. <laughs> I would go with William over <laughs> me.
0: So. Um, I guess geographically you might be more available than William. He's up in uh, Arlington.
1: So. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. If yeah. you're down in Fredericksburg, <laughs> I'm I'm all, I'm on that team. So. So.
0: All right. Well, it has now been. A pleasure to have you here. Yeah, I appreciate it. I know it. I tried to get us out earlier, but I feel really bad about rushing that. We've got another 15 minutes in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, awesome. It was great having you. We're going to yep. try and get you back on. As I appreciate a, it. Uh, you're filling in for Vic today. so we. Yeah. Can, he's. Uh, uh, Vic is in California, uh, yep. mixing it up on the left coast. Yep. Yep. Uh, Hopefully hitting the beach. Um, I hope so,
1: too. I Hopefully really
2: doing some podcast interviews. Forget the beach.
1: <laughs> yeah. I. You know, I, when I talk to him, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be unavailable. And he's like, well, no, apparently I can do work on the West Coast. And uh, uh, so yeah. <laughs> he's doing something. Yeah. I'm sure. He was happy about that. Is <laughs> he
0: sitting there with his in and out or. <laughs> right. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Tough life. It's yeah, a Tough, tough life. be uh,
1: The deputy editor. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like if you could remote work from like if you could pick up. The, the ideal parts of California. That'd, that'd be a great place to be. Just the yeah. remote work in. Like I got my food, I got my beach, I got my mountains. Like I got everything I get need. Get your craft beer and yeah. Uh, well, we got craft beer in Virginia. That's so. true. It is a
1: it is a growing yeah, uh, yeah. growing sector of uh, yeah. wine and craft beer. Yeah. And ciders. Well, cider. I'm yeah. into cider. Our
0: ciders yeah. are big. Yeah. 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 Too. So it's a good place to be if you like to drink. <laughs> um.
2: <laughs> and on that note. On
0: that note. This has been uh, Scuttlebutt, a Marine Corps Association podcast. I'm Nick, that's Nancy, that is Tim. And uh, our opinions are opinions and don't reflect the Marine Corps Association or the Marine Corps. All right, thanks, everyone. We'll catch you on the flip. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thank you.